It's inauguration day, and wait, what's the governor of Kansas doing there? First order of business for the mayor, a major assault on guns. Is he fighting a losing battle with Missouri lawmakers? Plus, the road to the White House finally winds its way through Kansas City. Also this half hour, Kansans head to the polls, but what did they say? And he was once the most powerful man in Missouri. Why former Governor Jay Nixon is now being accused of handing back the keys to the White House to Donald Trump. Those stories and the rest of the week's news straight ahead. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, RSM, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. Co-Trustees, The Restaurant at 1900, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome, I'm Nick Haynes, and we are thrilled to bits to have you with us as we connect the dots on the week's most impactful and confusing local news stories. Rolling up their sleeves to tackle the week's headlines is former Kansas City Star reporter and opinion writer Dave Helling, KNBC9 political analyst Michael Mahoney, leading our Metro's newest newspaper, Next Page KC, Eric Wesson, and covering the region's top political stories for KCUR News, Brian Ellison. It may not have all the pomp and circumstance or the television viewership of a presidential swearing-in, but this week was Inauguration Day in Kansas City as Quinton Lucas officially launched his second and final term in office. I, Quinton Lucas. I, Quinton Lucas. All righty, what did we learn, if anything, from this week's events, Brian? Well, I think we learned, uh, we had a little foretaste of what we should expect in Mayor Quentin Lucas's second term. We saw uh, a real strong emphasis this, on this day on some of the more progressive elements of, of the mayor's agenda, which, by the way, he, he signaled that during the campaign. He signaled that after Election Day when he highlighted that he said this was the most progressive city council ever. Uh, he rolled out uh, gun proposals, he talked about affordable housing, the things that seemed to shape the campaign dialogue were part of his inauguration day. Uh, I don't know if we learned anything about the prospects for success for those proposals, but we certainly learned a little bit about what he's going to be talking about. You know, the gun proposals, Eric, was what captured most of the headlines. He has one proposal that would make it illegal to provide a minor with bullets without a parent or guardian's consent. Mm -hmm. The second would make it illegal to own a device that modifies a gun so it's capable of firing multiple uh, rounds with a single pull of, of a trigger. But if those were so important to the mayor, why was he doing it right now? Why not six months ago? Why not a year from, uh, b before? I think that the, the public demand has been to the point now where he has to do something about it. My only thing about the bullets is, and that's a great concept, but he would have to get the neighboring cities to go along and pass a similar ordinance. If not, they could go to Overland Park or go to Kansas City, Kansas, and buy bullets. So he's going to have to get some type of partnership. There, Those, is a, there is a concern, though, whether he can even do it at all, whether Missouri lawmakers or Missouri courts would slap that down, Michael. Yeah, uh, in fact, he made it quite clear that he thought that he was designing these uh, these two uh, proposals to get around the pre-exemption pre statutes in the state of Missouri that basically say that uh, local ordinances cannot preempt uh, state ordinances. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see about that. I inquired in the attorney general's office uh, 
uh, twice uh, in this, uh, this past week uh, to find out what, uh, if they had anything to say. And as we tape this program, um, I haven't heard, heard, heard back. The other, the other thing real quickly is I hope we get to the, uh, the housing issue, which was the other big uh, point of emphasis of the second term. So anyway, well, well, we'll, OK, what did he say new? Uh, well, he, he says that he wants to use the, the now fully funded uh, housing tr uh, trust fund to provide 8,000 units uh, of housing. The interesting thing about that is it, what kind of housing is it going to be? Is is it going to be is it going to be housing for uh, people who are homeless? Is it going to be housing for the workforce? I mean, exactly how is this going to be split up or if it's going to be split up at all? And I think that remains to be seen. Did you learn anything new this week, Dave? Well, no, I mean, uh, housing, obviously, I think transportation will be a big issue in the second term uh, of the mayor uh, and, of course, public safety. Um, I think the gun proposals are largely symbolic and interesting to me is uh, and I think we'll see this over the next couple of years as to whether the mayor wants to pick fights with Jefferson City over things like guns and local control, that type of thing, or uh, needs Jefferson City's help on things like stadiums and World Cups and other proposals in Kansas City. Second terms are fascinating things in Kansas City. Typically, mayors do better in second terms than in first. Kay Barnes was better in her second four years. I think Emmanuel Cleaver was better Dick Berkeley in his third term. But Sly James struggled a little bit in his second four years, so we'll see how the mayor turns out. I think the difference we're seeing with uh, Mayor Lucas is the fact that he didn't really have a campaign where he had to debate and bring these things to the public and, you know, let us debate about them before we hear them after he's already sworn in. I think that was a hindrance in his campaign as well. But housing is going to be an issue that he's going to have to deal with. And I think one of those things is because of KC tenants. They have somebody now that they feel that they've elected to be on the city council so they can bring these issues to the forefront. The, uh, the other thing that Dave uh, brought up here about the relationship between uh, Quentin Lucas and Jeff, uh, Jeff City is going to be really interesting because uh, Kansas City is clearly going to ask for money uh, for, uh, for, for the World Cup. They've already got some. They'll ask for more. There's going to be stadium issue funding on this. And then uh, watch on the other side of the state line, uh, or on the other side of the state, uh, the mayor of uh, St. Louis, uh, they just passed a... Uh, a law over there requiring people to have a permit for concealed carry inside of the city of St. Louis. That'll be another area that I suspect that uh, I suspect that uh, uh, Jefferson City is going to push back on. Let's see how, how they handle all this down in Jeff City. Something else that was interesting this week is Quinton Lucas confused what city he is in, Brian. How come Kansas Governor Laura Kelly was speaking at the inauguration? I'm on the city council. He has shown both a willingness and an aptitude for tackling tough issues head on and doing so with a maturity that far exceeds his mere 38 years. Isn't it a little odd that the governor of Missouri was nowhere to be seen, but the governor of another state, Brian, was making a keynote speech at the mayor's inauguration? I don't know how odd it is under these circumstances. I have to say, I, I, don't, I don't have any reporting on this. I don't know if Governor Parson was invited and declined. Maybe someone else knows that. But I will say it would have been very awkward for him to be there. Everything that Mayor Lucas proposed are things that would put him very much at odds with not only Governor Parson, but the Republican leadership of the yeah, state legislature. Just quickly, Nick, that I think the second four years of Mayor Lucas will also be determined and we need to keep this in mind by events beyond his control. 
Who would have predicted COVID in his first four years, and yet he had to deal with COVID? Within the first few months of few taking office. How about the Royals leaving Kansas City for North Kansas City? Some people will blame him for that. That's not really under his control. Crime remains an indirect responsibility of the mayor. We need to pay attention to the things he can't uh, keep his thumb on as well as the things he can. But some things he can keep his thumb on is that city manager. We know this week that the city manager made a comment about the Royals going to North Kansas City. Why would you want him to leave your area? Uh, and then he's got a uh, he's got a rough road with the minority community, civil rights leaders, uh, big businesses, with the city managers in the black community. So one of the things he's going to have to do is reel in the city manager and kind of get him on board with his agenda because he's taking a lot of hits for him. I know that, but it seems like they have a love fest with one another. There doesn't seem to be any hint any longer that the, he, we're going to see the Brian Platt being shown the door anytime soon, Michael. No, I, uh, I don't think so. We'll, uh, we'll have to see. The other, the, the other thing about this, just to go back to why Laura Kelly was there for a second, Quentin Lucas and uh, Laura Kelly are the two leading Democrats in this region, pretty uh, pretty much, and that's, that explains her presence at the inauguration. Now, as Kansas City was swearing in its new leaders, voters in Kansas were heading to the polls. Last year at this time, Kansans were showing up in historic numbers to vote on a statewide abortion amendment. There was nothing as attention-grabbing on the ballot this time around, but there were dozens of council and school board seats up for grabs. Now, it's hard to do justice to literally dozens of races, but, Brian, now that the results are in, was there any notable trend that shocked and surprised on election day? I think shock and surprise would be very strong okay, language, right. but I do think there were some things that, that gave us some indicators of what's going to be uh, significant, not only in Johnson County, but really throughout the region. I would point in particular, Nick, to that Prairie Village race. There was a, count, a Ward 3 seat, uh, which uh, was settled uh, 443 to 361. Uh, Lori Sharp, the, the stop rezoning candidate, the one who is opposed to creating more affordable housing situations in Prairie Village versus uh, Bonnie Limber the incumbent who has supported efforts to diversify the, the, the housing opportunities in Prairie Village. I think that conflict, Nick, is very telling. I think it's the kind of thing that we're going to see repeated again and again, not only in other municipalities in Johnson County, but throughout the region. Uh, and at this point, uh, at least in that particular ward of Prairie Village, it looks like the stop rezoning effort had the edge. Some people mocked uh, the turnout in the recent Kansas City elections, uh, Eric, where there was only 13% of eligible polls uh, went to the polls. What are we to make of the fact that turnout was 10% in Johnson County, according to the Shawnee Mission Post, and just 6% in Wyandotte County, according to the Wyandotte County Election Office. Who knew there was an election going on? I think a lot of people didn't know there was an election going on. You didn't see a lot of yard signs. You didn't see commercials on TV. You didn't see ads in newspapers. So I think a lot of people didn't know an election was going on it, and what the real issues are in those, those certain areas. It was a little hot, too, though. Well, August elections. The municipal elections are always a challenge in odd numbers, odd numbered years where you don't have bigger state and federal races on the ballot. So that's always a bit of a concern. Um, uh, you know, we have, I've said this on this program for many years, we have a lot of elections in our area. <laughs> Seems like every 90 days someone else is asked to go to the polls. That's a, a, a big ask for busy people in, in many communities. 
and at a time when media have not uh, have reduced their resources for covering local elections, it's very hard for people to feel like they're making an informed decision. And where many media have also put up paywalls, so you have to pay for that coverage, making it harder for you to gain access to that. Now, the road to the White House is finally winding its way through Kansas City. Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis will be here next week. The Florida governor is hosting a big donor event on Tuesday. He'll be in Wichita the day before. The VIP fundraiser uh, isn't cheap to attend. How about $13,000 a couple? Is this trip, though, just about collecting checks and boosting his flagging campaign war chest, Michael? Or is there more to this campaign stop in Kansas City? So far, it looks like it's mainly a fundraiser. As we tape this broadcast, there are no public events set. There's no opportunity that I know of right now for reporters to meet with Ron DeSantis. It used to be that reporters were welcome to a degree at fundraisers. That's not the case anymore. In fact, the location of this fundraiser was not disclosed until you ponied up the money for it. Forget about reporters. How about the rest of us? Do we also get the opportunity? There's no chance whatsoever to even see him while he's in Kansas City? Unless you're probably on the route of his small motorcade when he's in town, probably not. Does he feel, Dave, that he has a chance of unseating Donald Trump, at least in the polls here in Kansas and Missouri, as a result of his presence here? We're far, far from that. I mean, he trails in virtually every poll in the country in Iowa, where the Republicans will hold a caucus next year he's he's badly behind donald trump at least at this point so it's primarily about raising money mike points out something very important though candidates at that level have decided for one reason or another to ignore media and really any public interaction that is not scripted uh that that's not ron DeSantis's fault that trend has been coming for many many years but it's reaching its apex now. You just don't get a chance to see these people uh, except in places that they can tightly control what goes on. I, I agree that this particular trip is primarily about fundraising, but I would, to answer your question, Nick, about whether there's a, some chance for a Ron DeSantis in a Kansas or in a Missouri, I think there might be. Uh, when, when the polls are put, uh, name your favorite candidate, we know that Donald Trump is far and away the leader. But when, you, when they start asking head-to-head questions, the last poll in Kansas admittedly was back in February, but, but that, when you ask Trump or DeSantis, Trump or Pompeo, it's very competitive, and I think we have no idea what will happen over and the next just year. Just to be clear, and I think Brian's right, we have miles to go before we sleep. I mean, the President of the United States is in the dock, you know, as a, as a criminal defendant, so that could change the outcome as well. DeSantis is working on his message. Other Republicans may surface. Uh, making any prediction now is a fool's game. Unless you're in the states of New Hampshire or Iowa on the on the Republican side, uh, it's hard to take much of. Uh, uh, it's hard to take the, uh, many of these polls seriously right now. They're they're primarily name identification. Now it's a little different in Iowa and New Hampshire because they've got active campaigns underway on the Republican side up there, and and, and then on, on the Democrats with RFK uh, Jr. to to some degree, uh, but. Right now, this is all name ID. He was once the most powerful man in Missouri, but he's been out of office for the better part of six years. Now, former Missouri Governor Jay Nixon is making a big comeback. The longtime Democrat has just taken one of the top leadership roles in No Labels. That's the political outfit launching an increasingly contentious effort to field a moderate third-party presidential ticket. Why is the staunch Democrat from Missouri now going to work for an organization? Some critics claim, Dave, will only have the effect of handing over the keys to the White House to Donald Trump. I don't know. I mean, I think there is some, there are some people in the political universe who believe that a third party option is an important thing. If you're looking at Joe Biden against Donald Trump in 2024 and 
Uh, no Labels is uh, uh, apparently plowing the ground for that. Um, you know, I think there, there, there is a lot of uh, concern that a third-party candidacy with granted uh, a lot of ballot access could really tilt the difference in this race, but I'm not sure that's true. I mean, we all wrung our hands here and in other places over Greg Orman against Chris Kobach and, and um, Laura Kelly the first time, and it turned out to not have that much of an impact on how that race uh, ended up. So I'm not sure. I think people more, it, particularly for the president, do understand it's usually a binary choice, so I'm not quite as upset about Jay Nixon being involved as maybe some others are. A couple of things to remember. Number one, uh, what uh, Nixon's role is uh, in no label is ba is ballot access. He's going to be in, ch in yeah, charge of that. Yeah, he's the director of ballot right. integrity. It sounds impressive. It, yeah, it does. And, and then the uh, the other thing to remember about this is that no labels has not committed to running a ticket yet. They they're going to get they don't they don't have a preference at this point. Uh, and uh, they they say that maybe down the road they'll, they'll make a decision on that. Well, it's getting pretty late to do that. And uh, and it, and it's it's late to start uh, start trying to gain ballot access, so so we'll we'll see on this. And then the other thing is everybody uh, keeps talking about uh, um, uh, the impact on the Biden camp campaign. There are also some Republicans, moderate Republicans, that uh, are are wondering uh, whether whether or not a moderate ticket uh, with a moderate Republican on it could take uh, votes away from Trump. Were you surprised that Jay Nixon would get engaged as as a longtime Democrat in the No Labels organization? Yeah, I was surprised when I saw. Saw that and read that. I thought that he was, you know, pretty much the behind-the-scenes leader of the party uh, for the Democratic Party. But evidently, I was wrong with that assumption as far as directing people on what to do because he's been there and he's won those elections, several elections. So I thought he was the man to go to. Well, the 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 problem with that. Uh is, is the fact that he had a reputation when he was the head, yeah, uh, the head of the Democratic moderate. Party, yeah. not only as a moderate, but uh, but not had a reputation as a Democratic Missouri Democratic Party builder. He, or someone that would help other Democrats. Yeah, yeah, he exactly. was out on his exactly. own. That, uh, that was uh, that's, that's what I mean. And he, and, he, and he caught lots of heat from his own party because of that. So so far, no labels. Brian has qualified for the 2024 presidential ballot in five states. Kansas and Missouri are not among them. Would we though? Do you think have an opportunity in Kansas and Missouri to? Have have a chance to vote for no labels, or is there an effort to stop them from being on the ballot where we live? Uh, I, I don't think anyone is organized particularly okay. well for or against. The, the reality, though, and I, to, to echo what others have said, Nick, is that I, this is a two-party system. We may or may not like that, but systemically, the way things are set up, it's very hard for a, a middle-of-the-road candidate to make any headway that has an impact on Now, the there may be another local connection to no labels. The Washington Post says former Kansas Congressman Mike Pompeo has been floated as part of a no-labels presidential ticket. The point, paper points out he has upped his criticisms of Trump lately and has met with the group. Now, he's already turned down a chance to run as a Republican for the presidency. What about Pompeo as a no-labels candidate? I think Mike Pompeo as the no-labels candidate would ensure that no Democrats would be peeled away from Biden's votes. That might be the, the only way that it is effective at preventing a Trump re-election if that is the goal. Remember we went through this with Ross Perot in 1992, and he eventually did get ballot access in most places. It cost a lot of money, and that's really what no-labels is looking at, is money. In Missouri, for example, four parties are guaranteed a ballot spot. Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, and the Constitution Party. 
whatever that turns out to be. So there are mechanisms to get people on, but as Mike points out, you gotta start that effort pretty quickly. You can't wait until August of next year to try and get on the November ballot. But although President Biden is the Democratic leader as far as the presidency goes, they're gonna have to do something to inspire their base. If not, then the no labels or no anybody would come in and slip in and, and do something with the vote, split the vote up. But they're going to have to do something. And in Missouri especially, who's the leader in the Democratic Party in Missouri? Where are they speaking out against? What are they doing? You know, it's, it's really a sad situation for Democrats. And even as Republicans and being blacks in a Republican Party, you got somebody on the ticket that says slavery was a good thing. Yeah, so. Right. What well, do you do with that? And, and you can make you can make a case right now. I'm not sure everybody agrees with you. You can make a case right now that the state of Missouri is more is redder than oh, the yeah. state of Kansas That's and more and, and more Republican than that. And and this would be one of the last places that uh, uh, some sort of embryonic ballot access uh, initiative would take place. In addition to wanting to let you know what's happening in Kansas City, we want to save you money on this program. If you've got kids or grandkids to look after, remember this weekend is a back to school school tax holiday. Through the close of business on Sunday, you'll pay no state sales tax in Missouri on everything from backpacks, laptops, and children's clothes. But wait, there's more. Did you see that this is going to be a back-to-school tax holiday on steroids? For the very first time, a new state law blocks local cities from charging taxes during the weekend. So depending on where you live, that could be like a 10 to 11% saving. Eric. Absolutely. Uh, even when, you know, because I have to buy school supplies and stuff for my kids. But even at that, when they say it's no tax, if you go to some yes. of the malls, they still charge you a local tax for it. So I applaud the opportunity to not have to pay any tax at all. I'm sure, though, uh, city leaders in Kansas City, Lee Summit, and all of these other places are glum, though, over the news because they're going to get less cash out of this. Uh, Nick, I thought you were saying there would be no sales tax on steroids, which seemed <laughs> like a really good deal. Uh, no, I, I, I actually agree, Nick. I think uh, city leaders are the ones who should be concerned. However, according to the state's financial analysis when this bill was passed, $465,000. That's the total cost to all cities and municipalities across the state. That's not really a very significant amount of money when you divvy it up among all the municipalities. Uh, and if it uh, if it helps some families, if it helps some consumers, I doubt anyone's going to complain about that. I really wanted to be, yeah. Use some of the marijuana tax money. Okay. <laughs> I was really <laughs> expected to also be able to say, you can also do this in Kansas, mm -hmm. because there were plenty of articles over the last several months ago, yeah. Governor Laura Kelly talking about this, even having a longer sales tax holiday in Kansas, it had never happened. No, it, it, it never got out of the legislature at the beginning of the session. I, I went back and reviewed some of this stuff, and you're right. There were all these uh, articles that says, you know, a sales tax holiday for the, uh, the school uh, season in August looks very promising. It looks like it's going to happen this time, and then it just fr uh, frittered away. It just, it, in their... Uh, in the legislature's ability to balance everything that they uh, they had during this session, it fell through the cracks. So if you live in Kansas, you're going to have to drive on over to Missouri to take That's advantage of this. Just go ahead and do that. That's the discussion we've been having for some time about sales tax avoidance. The problem in Kansas is that Republicans consistently put all their tax measures in one big bill mm -hmm. rather than vote on things separately because they think if you can put the sweetener on in, in a bill on sales tax, you can get corporate tax cuts. And uh, for whatever reason, Laura Kelly has not gone along with that. Now, when you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every big story grabbing the headlines. What was the big local story we missed? 
Not again. Nearly 100,000 Kansas Cityans lose power after another storm whips through the metro. It was once one of Kansas City's only Fortune 500 companies. Now it's out of business. Around 30,000 workers at Yellow Freight now looking for jobs. The trucking company was headquartered in Overland Park until moving to Nashville last year. Missouri carries out its fifth execution in eight months. Only Texas has executed more inmates this year. And the numbers are now in. Nearly 60,000 Jackson County homeowners have appealed their property assessments as the official deadline closes. That's 17% of every house in the county. That is literally off the charts compared to what's happening in other parts of the metro. Mayor Quinton Lucas calls the issue a crisis that could lead to mass defaults. We do not want thousands more properties being abandoned in Kansas City and in Jackson County. And it may not be the same as Taylor Swift, but the summer of mega concerts continues as British singing sensation Ed Sheeran plays Arrowhead this weekend. Alrighty, Michael Mahoney, did you pick one of those stories or something completely different? I picked something, uh, something else. The uh, news last week, that uh, this past week, that um, the state of Missouri is now going to tackle the problem of uh, upgrading and improving some of the railroad crossings, especially the, un the unguarded ones, and there are hundreds, if not thousands of them, in the state uh, just along the passenger routes in Missouri, not counting the, uh, the, the freight routes. It's uh, something that, A, was a, uh, an offshoot of the fatal crash in Menden uh, from last uh, last year. The report on that also came out uh, this past week talk, uh, talking about uh, the problems with that specific uh, uh, crossing. So that that's mine, the idea of upgrading and improving the safety of railroad crossings. Eric. I picked two, the Hot Dog Fest, Negro Leagues Baseball <laughs> Museum. Hot Dog Fest is this weekend. My second one was Jane Brown. She was the former housing director for Kansas City. She filed a EEOC complaint, and she is alleging sex and age discrimination and being forced to retire when she wasn't ready. And that's another... In Kansas City, Missouri? In Kansas yes. City, Missouri. Yep. That's another lawsuit that taxpayers will probably be settling. Brian. I picked a, a sad story, Nick. Uh, Mizell Law, the 19-year-old student at Mid-America Nazarene University, the football player who we learned died. Uh, we learned last Sunday that he died practicing for football, a heat-related injury. Significant, Nick, I think, because it's not the first time. We heard uh, five years ago the Garden City Community College uh, football player, uh, Fort Scott Community College a couple of years ago. This seems to be a recurring situation in Kansas. What is it about the way football practice is happening or perhaps rising temperatures? This is something the state may need to address. And then just quickly, oversight from the state of Kansas for these schools as well. Uh, I, I'll mention this, Nick. There is some uh, discussion. You remember all the times we talked about the Strata office building downtown in Kansas City and all the incentives? Well, apparently that was never built. And apparently there's a movement now to transfer those rights to the Cordish Company, which may try to develop downtown. Cordish continues to be interested in housing downtown turning downtown into more housing and entertainment than office buildings. And for the first time in history, more office buildings are being torn down than being built in this nation. Uh, the changing nature of downtowns is an important story we need to pay attention. And on that, we will say our week has been reviewed, courtesy of KCY's Brian Ellison and Channel 9's Michael Mahoney. From Next Page KC, Eric Wesson and former star reporter Dave Helling. Before we leave you, dig out the tissue box. There will be no show next week <laughs> as we head into our summer membership drive. I know, it's upsetting, but as our trucking friends like to say, we'll see you on the flip side. Until then, I'm Nick Haynes. From all of us at Kansas City PBS, be well, keep calm, and carry on.